Authenticity, curiosity, intimacy. These are important for success in your personal life, but they are also the foundations of a new mindset leading to true success, fulfillment, and happiness in business. A New Business Mindset is a series of conversations with business leaders in which they share the importance of real business relationships founded and based upon authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy. It is a show in which we learn how to cultivate a new business mindset and become more successful, fulfilled, and happy in our own careers. And now, here are your hosts. And welcome once again to the show, and I am delighted to be here in the studio with my dear friend, Mr. Todd Schnick. Todd, good afternoon. Gareth, how are you, my friend? I'm doing uh, Always well. uh, one of my favorite conversations on this show, the gentleman that's back on the show today, yeah. so looking forward to it. I am too. Yeah, I'm doing very well. I trust you are too. Yep, doing great. Well, hopefully we've got everybody excited about this wonderful guest we've got in the studio. Before we turn to him, now let's reflect on our conversation with Vaughn last week. Yeah, and a really cool conversation. Vaughn and Cozy talked about a lot of different things. Uh, he talked about um, you know, one of the ways to affect real change in any kind of an organization is you got to respect the culture and you have to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. And well, those two key principles are game-changing in virtually any kind of scenario. Yeah. Talked about servant leadership, which is so desperately needed in this community. Then he closed with a conversation that I know is important to you about mentorship and yeah. how valuable and important that is to to be mentored and to be a mentor. It's so a really, really cool conversation. Really cool conversation, a lot in there. Without further ado, let's welcome Kit Cummings back to the studio. Kit Cummings is an award-winning author. He has traveled the world pretty much. He's been to Africa, Asia, Latin America, spent a lot of time in Tijuana. He's been, I think he started in the Ukraine maybe. <laughs> He's been all over the place. Up next, he says, Guatemala and India works in prisons, in some very hardcore prisons, and he also works in schools and in environments outside the prison system. So, uh, Kit, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Good to see both you guys. For those folks who have not listened uh, to the previous conversation we've had or uh, don't know you, give those folks just a little bit of a a soundbite on what you do at the Parapiece. Parapiece Project, I'm sorry. There you go, Parapiece Project. Gosh, in the current climate we find ourselves in with with everything in the news and what our nation and our world is caught up in is um, a lot of division, obviously, whether it be racial, whether it be gender, whether it be economic, or whether it be nationally, U.S., Mexico, whether it be different movements or different parties, conservative, liberal, everything. It's There's a lot of walls and divisions. Power Peace Project brings rivals together, resolves conflict. And so it started as a prison peace project uh, in tough maximum security prisons uh, where there was gang violence. And I was asked to develop a program that would help bring the violence down so that more programs could be effective. Because when the violence spikes, programs go away. And in the schools, same problem. You know, the more there is violence or, or, or you know, if there, there doesn't even have to be gangs anymore. It could just be cyberbullying. Uh, education goes away, you know, when the violence and the conflict rise. And so the Power Peace Project works in a number of different spaces, primarily schools, but also prisons and communities, to bring peace to environments that lack it, and specifically to interrupt, redirect, and uplift young people that are on a dangerous course. So let's take that whole theme and shift it to some fairly challenging social times where we're not looking at for the most part, violence and, you know, really people on those dangerous paths, so to speak. But we are looking at a lot of people who are trapped and who are in communities where there's walls growing up between the communities and right now unable to get through those walls and connect with each other and a lot of people lacking the interest and desire to do so. Talk about that situation 
from your experience with the Power of Peace Project and all the work you've done. Okay. Because it, it started in a very drastic environment as far as rivals. It was literally warring gangs inside uh, Georgia's most violent, dangerous maximum security prison in the middle of a gang war. So it was like, it turned out to be in our story that now we're going into our seventh year as an organization. It it was like, if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. Right. You know, is what the story became. Because, good Lord, if we can get those guys to come together, which they did. Crips, not just Crips and Bloods, but that's the one that probably people, that resonates with people, literally started working together to bring peace to their environment because they all had to live there. Okay, so you got the same thing in the free world on the streets and communities. We're, we're getting the leaders to consider the outcome of the way of life that they have perpetuated and led the young men and women in that society or that culture, that community. It's not working and nobody's winning. And so whether it be in the prison you know, confines to say, look, if you guys will work together, you can still do what you want to do, but you can do it in an environment where the quality of life is better. In the same way on a community, you've got, you know, neighborhoods or you've got political parties or you've got cops and communities or you have Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Or you've got Christians and Muslims. You've got all these divisions. And we teach our kids to think this way. And as Mr. Mandela said, if we can learn to hate, and we know that hate is a learned behavior, we're not born hateful. We're not born racist. We're not born bigots. We learn it. We definitely learn it. If we can learn it, then we can unlearn it. If we can learn to hate, we can learn to love. And so we're just trying to, to interrupt and start to train the young generation that there's a different way to see the world. There's a different way to see the West Side. There's a different way for a Republican to look at a Democrat, Go on and on. Well, as we record this, uh, this week in studio uh, was Monday was Martin Luther King Day. And I always think of his, uh, I choose love. Hate is just too heavy a burden to carry, you know. And so that's kind of what you're saying there. But this, look, mo <laughs> let's be honest. Most of the people listening to this, myself and Gareth included, haven't, haven't been to some of the hellish environments that you've been, been in, dealing with drug cartels and, and gang, gang wars and, and some of the just really this devastating environment. I mean, it's just amazing some of the places you've been and the effect and positive impact you had. So most of us aren't dealing with that kind of thing, but we have situations in this country where people, marriages are, are ending because of Donald Trump's election and, and all that that implies. And then the vicious back and forth between the Black Lives Matter movement and whether someone's saying that's a positive force for change versus no, it's, it's not. And, and, and then you go to just people's just daily lives where there's rivals and, and, problem is within their work organization that they can't figure out how to solve. The lessons that you, what are some of the key lessons you've learned from the work you've done in these very difficult in, uh, scenarios? What, what are some key lessons that people can take from that to make their own personal life better and, and not worry if their wife voted the wrong way? Right, right. I believe we fear what we don't know or we don't understand. <laughs> we fear it. It's, it's something that we don't understand. And so Wherever you find yourself on any of those situations, there is a way to, there's a solution. And so whether, if you think about between a husband and a wife or a, a father and a daughter, or it can be two neighbors who are at war, a cold war, you know, or it can be an issue. Now, I'll just take one that popped into my mind when I was listening to your question. Immigration, mm. hot issue. Okay, walls. I've got a new book I'm working on that basically d deals with walls and tunnels and bridges. And the walls that divide us, the tunnels that where we hide things and shame, and then the bridges that connect us, that heal us. And so, anyway, in the intro, you said Guatemala next, but now it's Guatemala. It just happened. Mm. So, so fresh off of that about a month ago. And 
went to Guatemala, took a bunch of kids, and we did some pretty cool work down there, working hard, doing good you know, good things, but, but going on an adventure with some young folks that are trying to overcome addiction issues or supporting those that are. So we had some families, but we had some, some people in recovery and some, quite frankly, some people that needed to be. And so it was young people going on a real adventure journey together to a place just to serve people that will never be able to repay you. And then it was called Hope is the New Dope is the name mm. of the tour. Because what we're showing them is there's a way to get high, like no drug out there. You can't find a drug that'll get you high like this. And it's through random acts of kindness and compassion for people that cannot do anything to pay you back. I mean, you catch that high, ain't nothing can compete with it. So we take kids and but we went down there and we, we got to know a culture that I didn't understand. I've been to Honduras and into Mexico, and, but I hadn't been to Guatemala, certainly not up in the hills where these villages are just growing their own little coffee bean plants and then trying to try to figure out a way to survive. Well, we were on our little bus going to our place where we were going to build this school and there was this line all the way down and around the block and all the way through this little town of, of these beautiful, very small, the Mayan culture is very small, ladies and all their children lined up for a mile. And I was like, I asked my interpreter and my friend Andy, you know, what is that all about and where are all the men? And he said, today's when the U.S. money transfers come in. Where are the men? The men are in the States working and sending money home to their families. And then I began to learn that some of those men make the decision to try to figure out how to pay what they call a coyote, six to $8,000 U.S., to get them successfully from Guatemala across the border into the United States so that they can work and work like I've never seen anybody work to send almost every penny back to that family. And I got to see those families standing in line waiting for that money to feed, feed their children. That one thing changed the way. I don't think that there's not an immigration issue or that we don't need secure borders. I mean, I tell people, whether it's audiences or, or groups or panels, you can't get me to pick a side because I'm not choosing one. I care about issues and I care about people and I have convictions. And even those convictions are changeable if, put, if, if you let me walk with you. Because now, do I think there's some people coming in that we need to keep out? Yes. Do I think there's some people here that don't need to be here? Yes. But there are also some beautiful families I met down there that a man made a tough decision to go and do what he felt like he had to do for his little babies. And he, and her, I don't know, it just, it opened my eyes. So the, so the, the long answer to your question is, if I seek first to understand you, whether that's a husband and wife, if I find common ground with you, whether that's a father and a daughter, if I walk a mile with you before I judge, that can be for the undocumented immigrant. If I practice active listening and hear the pain in my brothers and sisters of color that are marching in a Black Lives Matter parade, if I listen and ask them why they march and don't think that I know, if I'll compassionately communicate with the people that oppose me and use my language the way that Dr. King did and, and not tear people down and not hurt people with my words. These are the things that we teach the kids, but it's also what'll heal a marriage, <laughs> how to lead a sales force, how to bring Palestine, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, if we could get them to practice those principles. Nothing's impossible. So There's a lot in there, and you said a lot of wonderful things. Uh, you can't get me to pick a side. I have convictions, but even those convictions are changeable if I walk with you. That's tough because we are not trained to have convictions that are changeable. We are trained to have convictions, and those convictions are like permanent. They're fixed. I, I want to bring this out of the prison system and out of the hardcore and the, you know, the really mm -hmm. extreme environments mm -hmm. that you're in. To
to the more mundane everyday environment we're dealing with here. How do you get people who aren't under that enormous level of duress to soften their convictions or be willing to recognize that their convictions should be a little bit malleable? We're doing a college tour in 2017. And the first event was at San Diego State. And then the next one was FSU and then UGA. And now we're starting to look for, you know, how we're going to construct the rest of this thing. But the San Diego State one was a very interesting event because it was a bunch of kids the week after the election. Okay, so it was, and they had just uh, legalized, uh, they had done Prop 64, legalized recreational marijuana in California. So imagine a whole bunch of college kids in a very, in California on a college campus, San Diego State, and they just saw Trump get elected president and, you know, won the, <laughs> the, the weed vote. And so that, and they had been marching all week. Half of them don't even know why. I mean, right. at 3.30 in the morning when the result was was finalized, they just opened the door and walked out into the street. And they didn't know what the heck they were marching for. They just knew they were supposed to march. And they were, uh, they, I think they were supposed to be pit. It's like they didn't know. Mm-hmm. They're just kids. But they're a generation that wants to march. And the thing was, they're so dug into their side, but they have no idea why. They just know Bernie was really cool. Right. So they liked Bernie. And then Bernie was out. So then like, well, I guess we like Hillary because we like Obama. And Obama's very popular with college age, that whole generation. Mm-hmm. And then the whole Trump thing brought out a whole nother side of a lot of people. It really has, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon to watch these kids. But what I challenged those kids to do, I told them, I said, look, we have been waiting on you. You're the generation that's more politically, socially, environmentally, globally aware, 21-year-olds that the world has ever produced. You're it. You know how to use technology. You understand media. You are tapped into the information source. But yet, the one thing you hadn't done, you hadn't done any homework. You don't know the issues. Okay, so if I pick a side, and the best I can do is, why, why? Just ask why, and then listen. If you happen to be on the right, help me understand why. And I promise you I will listen. And convince me. Or persuade me or just educate me on what you believe. If you happen to be on the left, then let's walk a mile together and, and tell me why. What, what, are the, what are the issues that, because I told those young people, I said, if you watch CNN all the time and that's all you ever get, turn it on. I mean, turn it off and turn on Fox News just to see what the stories are over there. If you watch Fox News all the time, turn it off and watch CNN just to see if there's a difference and be a seeker and a learner rather than just picking a side. Anybody can do that. And so, once we, we got that conversation going, I said, look, I'll march with you, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to be in Occupy Wall Street. They didn't do anything. What were they, they, didn't, they didn't have a leader, an objective, a strategy. They just had a bunch of tents. And they said, hell no, we won't go. We're just going to stay here. But now what did it do? And so I, I taught them how Dr. King did it. And you brought up MLK Day. That's the Power Peace's birthday is always MLK Day because that's when we started our first peace movement in our first prison. And I get to leave here and go see the guys up at the prison where it started this afternoon. Oh, that's cool. That's just very, very cool. Well, but this, this is the whole idea, though. I mean, and I can be changed if I walk with you. Well, that's that's oh, the issue. Let me say this. People to, aren't that walking. Last part. Okay, so we up at Heisei Prison, we had a debate on the Colin Kaepernick issue. Mm. Okay? Kneeling during the anthem. Okay, is there a hotter issue when that was hot? I mean, that this was several months ago when it was all over everything. And so I said, let's have a debate. And we called it a killer debate. 
And the reason why is because there were killers in the room. And, and it was a lot of life sentence guys and beautiful guys, but a killer debate was just what we called it. And I said, raise your hand if you believe that, that a man should never kneel during that song. And we should, if we could, we could make it illegal to do so. And hands in the room went up and I picked six of them and they came up and lined up. And then I said, now raise your hand if you said that brother has the right to kneel and as a matter of fact, responsibility to kneel. If he think a lot of hands went up. Pick six of those guys, brought them up front. So I had two, two six-man teams. I said, pick a leader, pick a, a side and a position, and we're going to debate. And we set up the podium. We had 65 other men all in this really cool packed-in room, no officers in the room. And each side chose their man, chose their position, and we had a debate. But we operated under the principles. Seek first to understand your opponent. Find common ground with your enemy. Walk a mile with your adversary before you judge. Actively listen. Compassionately communicate. When you're wrong, admit it and make amends and treat your enemy with dignity and respect, even if you disagree. And I sat back and I watched the most brilliant debate. And at the end of it, I said, raise your hand if you change sides. And I'm telling you, there was a good number of hands went up that started on this side and after they heard stories. Yeah. And it was a brother saying, I fought in Vietnam and pulled bodies off the field because I was a medic. I'll never, ever kneel for that song. Well, another guy raised his hand and said, yeah, but the cops shot down my, bro- my little brother, murdered my little brother. I feel like I've got to kneel to make you listen to that song. And until every word of that song appeals to every one of us in this country, then I'm going to kneel respectfully and make you think about that song. And I sat there listening to these two sides, and I'm like, hell, I don't even know where I'm at on that now. Because, yeah. And these were men in a prison. So my conviction needs to be a present moment thing. What do I believe right now in this moment as a man and hopefully as a good human being? What do I believe about this one issue? And if I can't change it, then, I don't, then I'm not a truth seeker if a conviction can't change. But it won't change if I don't put myself in your shoes. The situations you're talking about with very, very difficult groups of people, um, hardened people and hardcore people, but they're in a contained environment, the listening thing, I am all over it. I agree with it, absolutely. I have recently, a couple of times, I mean, that's this what I preach. I've recently, a couple of times, though, found myself in a place where I recognize the person on the receiving end of that, heard the message as, thou shalt submit to thy oppressor. Mm-hmm. So the message of listening in order to connect, it's something I can say to somebody who has equal privilege to me. It's something I suspect in the prison environment or in a contained environment where you can bring a body of rules and sort of equalize everybody, it works. But I am increasingly recognizing there is a real challenge to that message in a society where not everybody has the same rights as everybody else, Mm -hmm. where people feel kind of under the thumb, if you like. Sure. So reflect on that and offer some thoughts on that, if you would, Kit. Well, I think the the work with the kids... Um, there's, I was doing about 80% prisons and about 20% schools. And then I would do, you know, I would go where I'm invited, whether it's a corporate event or a church event or a community event to speak. But the schoolwork expanded because of this heroin opioid problem we have, overdose in the suburbs, suicide among our kids. So it wasn't just gang violence in the inner cities. Now it came home to suburbia around America where heroin is now Mm -hmm. in our high schools. It's cheap and it's easy to find. And so kids are dying in their homes, either at their own hand, well, either overdose or suicide. And it became this, the work changed. It really did. And we've got this generation, 
And now not just a generation, but whole segments of our, our society that feel invisible and they feel like they don't have a voice right. and that they don't matter. And if I wasn't here, nobody would care. Okay, right. that's not just young people. No, it's not. We've got a suicide epidemic in our country. We have an overdose epidemic in our country. We have an accidental death and a homicide epidemic. We're, we're, we're choosing death over life. And it's because people are under so much extreme pressure and they don't feel like they matter and they feel like they're invisible and nobody cares. Nobody's here for me. Because of the election result, we have a huge part of our country that is feeling some intense pain and fear. Yep. And that is often expressed in anger. If I'm angry and you find me in that space and I get there sometimes, ask me what I'm afraid of because that anger usually is coming from a fear. Yes. In, in a marriage with parents, kids, we're afraid because our kid's not listening. So what we do, we get angry with them and all we do sometimes is push them back further. And so it's this, it really is this walking a mile and listening, but we've all got to admit that our society is in a lot of pain. And we've got to start figuring out how do we deal with pain. And what you guys are doing right now, starting good, healthy conversations and powerful dialogue is what needs to be happening with our kids, you know, with our congregations, with our political parties is we've, we've got, and, and this is in the crazy way. I told the inmates in the early days, you know, I say early days were, you know, seven years in. You guys are going to be the role models for some of this stuff, and it's going to freak people out. Because what those guys did in that debate, we did not see our candidates practice. Those, there was not one. Now, now this, I'm not lying. I, I'm not lying right here on the air. There was not one use of profanity in that debate, in that prison. There was not one interruption. They did not interrupt. They waited till their turn. They spoke to the audience and not to one another. And we were discussing a racially charged, very nationalistic, deep issue on purpose. And they showed that you can act like a gentleman and you can also change your mind if somebody makes a powerful enough statement. If ever anybody felt like nobody cares for them, it's those inmates. They are feared and forgotten. Mm -hmm. and they're, they're men that feel like, and now we've given them a voice. If we do that for our kids is come in and, and I see you, I feel you, I've got you. Tell me your story. Talk about your pain. Let's give them a good way to, to really feel like you do matter, I do hear you, I do see you, and, and you have a voice. I'm going to give you an opportunity to use it. That's what our program's all about. Now, all of a sudden, I've got something to live for. I feel like a, um, a self-esteem comes from doing esteemable acts. And so today, your listeners, the, the, the kindest little gesture, like paying for the Starbucks behind you or letting the guy merge into traffic and not just waving him in, but giving him a big smile and a wave, it's, it's shaking a person's hand and saying that, you know, it really is good to meet you. Those are the things that at the end of the day make me feel like I'm a good person. I'm, I'm a good human being. So tomorrow, you know, I'm going to start looking for more of that and build a momentum in my life. And I think that that just makes life work better instead of choosing a side. And God bless anybody that goes out on Friday in D.C. to protest. It's, it's our right as a, as a nation, as an individual citizen to protest nonviolently. But Let's please figure out how to do what you guys are doing here today, which is start a dialogue to where the right listens to the left and white listens to black and U.S. listens to Mexico and Christian listens to Muslim. You know, get a new story in your life is, is what I feel like. I would love to continue this conversation because I think we just too. touched me, the me mother too. idea. <laughs> but uh, we are at time here, Kit. So it flies we'll have by to do it again. You. It flies by with you guys. Mm -hmm. which well, is it a really does fly and vice versa. Thank you. 
Before we let you go, if anybody wants to find out more about you, I guess they just Google Power of Peace Project and it'll all be there, the book, the website. Absolutely. The traveling schedule and everything, yes, and we'll put contact information on the website for you. Yes, please. And if you want to invite us to your school, whether that's middle school, high school, college, we have programs. We want to come and see you. So, Kit is a highly esteemed keynote speaker, so please do reach out to him. Thank you, guys. Kit, thank you so much for being on the show with us again. Keep up the good work. From my co-host, Todd Schnick, from myself, Gareth Young, and from our guest, Mr. Kit Cummings, thank you so much for joining us today. Encourage everybody to not just listen to this show, but listen to it again and try and take some of the suggestions from this and practice them in your everyday life. So till next week. You have been listening to A New Business Mindset, a radio show about the importance of authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy in business. To catch other great conversations and to learn more about the show, please visit us on newbusinessmindset.com. If you liked what you heard, and to really help us out, It'd be great if you'd visit and leave a review on iTunes. So thanks again for listening. A new business mindset will return next week.